Now, as we have continued our Sunday evening expositions as we are able on the book of Romans, you might recall that last time we introduced Romans 5, 12 and following by surveying the answer to the question, is it necessary that we believe in a literal historical Adam? And of course, the answer to that question is absolutely And I will not repeat the sermon. You can go and listen to it if you were not here, because I think it's very important that you might do so. But now I think we're better prepared to turn to Romans 5, 12 and following, so that we can understand how Paul unpacks the relationship between Christ and Adam. And I know it's Sunday evening, and I know you're tired, but you're really going to have to think, because it's just one of those passages. So, buck up, and uh, let's get ready. All right, let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you will open this passage through the powerful work of your Holy Spirit, that we may understand it and apply it to our lives, that we may live faithfully, doctrinally, and faithfully in our, in our Christian walk, and that we may understand that it is through the obedience of Christ and through his sacrifice for our sins as he paid the penalty as the last Adam achieving and accomplishing our salvation, that we now may stand before you justified. Hear us in our gratitude, and as our task tonight is to understand the passage, help us to walk out with a better understanding of the passage than we did when we walked in. Even if not every detail is understood, may we say, I really get what Paul is saying. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before reading uh, Romans chapter 5, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3 for a moment and let me remind you of something. 2 Peter chapter 3. Just pick it up at verse 15, 2 Peter 3.15. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul, now this is Peter writing, right? As our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their destruction as they do the other scriptures. So he says Paul's writings are scripture. And he says a lot of what he says is just hard to understand. Well, we come to one of those passages tonight. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 12. And if you thought that the vocabulary of Paul and the thought of Paul this morning was thick, then just wait. Chapter 5, verse 12, this is the word of God. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. If because of one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Adam's fall, we sin it all, said the New England primer. And that summarizes a good deal of what the Apostle Paul teaches us in this passage tonight. Let's remember what Paul has been doing. He's been dwelling on the magnificent theme of justification by grace through faith, how we are accepted on the basis of the righteousness of Christ alone. But now in this passage, he goes deeper into the heart of it. And those commentators who view this passage is some, as somewhat of an unimportant digression in Paul's thinking in Romans are really missing the point. This passage is not an unimportant digression. This passage is the very heart of it all. You with me? This passage is so important that it is the heart of Paul's teaching on justification. And it is also a very difficult passage to understand. Believe me, though, careful attention to the passage will more than repay the effort. Now, the idea here is between, is between an Adam and, and Christ, as last Adam, as there is an analogy between them. But an analogy that leads also to a total contrast. It is the contrast between sin and condemnation on the one hand and righteousness and acceptance with God on the other. And I want you to see the beauty of the gospel in the contrast that is laid out for us in this passage. The leading idea is solidarity with Adam or solidarity with Christ as last Adam. Paul is showing in depth the divine method of justifying sinners. God relates to mankind and governs humanity on the basis of this solidarity. Everyone is either in union with the first Adam or is in union with the last Adam. There are two Adams and there are two alls in the passage. All of those in the first Adam and all of those who are in the second or the last Adam. So the first thing that we need to do as we come to the passage is to see this. Understand Adam and you begin to understand the work of Christ. Understand Adam and you begin to understand the work of Christ. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Paul unpacks the logic of freedom from wrath by contrasting Adam and Christ. And verse 12 is answering the question, why is the human race under the guilt and wrath, under guilt and under the wrath of God? Well, the answer is death came by Adam. 
And he will go on to say that life comes through Christ. The human race is guilty because the head and representative of the human race disobeyed God and the entire human race was plunged into sin because of his rebellion. Sin entered the world through Adam and death through sin, says Paul, is a clear reference to Genesis chapter 3. Without question, the Apostle Paul has in the backdrop the third chapter of the book of Genesis. The fall of Adam was catastrophic. It encompasses all. There is described here a universal reign of death in the human race because we have fallen in Adam. What then does Paul mean when he says, in that all sinned? It means that the sin of Adam is counted to all humanity. Hence there is universal condemnation. Men and women and children are born in sin and are universally under the wrath of God. There is solidarity between Adam and his posterity. Now someone says it doesn't seem fair. And every time I preach a passage like this or talk about this in a class, someone raises the question, well, it just doesn't seem fair. I'm condemned for for what Adam did. The whole human race is condemned for what Adam did. There are two things to say about that. We should understand that the Lord has made the human race not as a conglomerate of individuals, but as a corporation with a corporate head. Now, some of you will know that I'm skimming the surface of some very detailed discussion here, but the point is this. Just as in a corporation, say a stock brokerage, when in certain circumstances the head of the corporation commits a business-related crime, the entire company is held responsible So here, Adam falls and we fall with and in him in his first transgression. But another way of answering the question, it doesn't seem fair, is simply to say this to you, believer. It doesn't seem fair that you receive the righteousness of Christ, does it? It doesn't seem fair that his righteousness is imputed to you when you did nothing to earn it. Indeed, when you have personally not only in Adam, but personally, actually sinned against God. You did nothing to earn it. It was not because of your actual obedience that you are accounted righteousness, but because of the actual obedience of Christ in your place that you are counted righteous. So if it's not fair in the one, it is not fair in the other. And I don't think we want to say the issue is fairness, do we? Someone says we can keep Christ but lose Adam The answer of Paul the Apostle unequivocally is, if our fall in Adam is a myth, salvation in Christ is a myth. Adam is the historical counterpart to Christ. When Paul says, from Adam to Moses, he's thinking of a fixed period of time with Adam at the beginning, because it is history. There was a real historical Adam, a real historical fall, And it is the only answer to the question, why is humanity sinful? If you do not have an historical Adam and you do not have an historical fall, a real fall of man in time and space, then you have to say with Karl Barth that man metaphysically is a sinner. That is to say he came from God's hand as a sinner, which is blasphemous. You have no choice between those two options. You really don't. 
So when Paul says from Adam to Moses, he's talking of history. The historical correlation determines the whole framework of redemption for the Apostle Paul. Now the second thing we see as we try to understand this passage is that there is a parenthesis. So the second point is the parenthesis in which Paul sketches the dark background of the fall of man. So he begins a contrast in verse 12 between Adam and Christ, and then suddenly he breaks it off, and verses 13 and 14 form a parenthesis. If you have your ESV, you can see how there's a long dash after verse 12. If you want to, you can take your pencil or pen, put a parenthesis around verses 13 and 14, because that's the issue. It's a parenthesis. Paul wants to make sure his readers understand the opening point. And to understand the glory of Christ's achievement, we must first understand it against the backdrop of condemnation. Paul shows it in another way. He says in verse 13, sin is not imputed where there is no law. But the point is, there was a law. Adam broke a direct command of God. He broke the law of God. He directly transgressed and trespassed the law of God. And although the law had not been given as it would be at Sinai through Moses, there was nevertheless a law. The consequences are universal, and according to the Bible, not only affecting humankind, but affecting the cosmos. That's what we're told in Romans chapter 8, and we will wait until we are there to look at it. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in one of his sermons, quotes a former president of an Oxford college, He's reflecting on his life, and he's reflecting on where things are. And he said, but for me, the Second World War brought an end to the long summer of my life. Henceforth, I have nothing to look forward to except chill autumn and still chiller winter. Yet I must somehow try not to lose hope. That's where we are. That's our need. We really are trying not to lose hope, but we are really hopeless if there is not a last atom who has reversed what the first Adam brought through his transgression. Plainly, we need saving. Plainly, God's grace is glorious. And I can never get over the fact that God became man in a world like this. That God, the second person of the Trinity, assumed human nature that he became last Adam. In a world like this, a fallen world in which we hated God, in which we had rebelled against God, in which we had turned from God, in which we want our own way. But that's what he did. And that's the marvel of the cross. Now having seen this parenthesis, and we have seen that Adam helps us to understand Christ, the backdrop, the backdrop of all of this shows how redemption is accomplished. So we move on in the passage, and the third thing we see is the consequences of the two atoms don't match up. Thank God. The consequences of the two atoms don't match up. So he says in verse 15, is not like. Look at it. But the free gift is not like the trespass. It is not like. Behind Adam, as one of the old commentators says, behind Adam was an unmarred history. Behind Christ, many trespasses. We were sunk in doom, but Christ came. 
How much greater is his work than Adam's? And verse 15 stresses the superabundance of grace. Look at it again. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, that's Adam, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And so there is the superabundance of grace. John Murray, in his classic commentary on Romans, of which a greater has never been written, by the way, get it if you can, John Murray calls this the abundant plus. Hence, I've taken that for the title of this evening's exposition, the abundant plus, the much more. Sin has reigned unto death, but grace has reigned through righteousness. The judgment is great, cosmic, universal, but the grace is greater than the judgment that came upon us through the transgression of Adam. And Paul heaps up language. The gift as over against the wages. What God has done through, through Christ the last Adam is far, far beyond what was lost in the first Adam. Justification blots out many transgressions, he tells us. So let's think about this abundant plus, which is the fourth thing, the abundant plus. See how Paul works it out. Now follow his logic. It's difficult, but follow it. You're very capable. First in verse 16, let's read the verse. He says, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. He's talking about judgment in a judicial sense, condemnation in a legal sense, condemnation in the courtroom. The free gift is freedom from condemnation and justification. Well, that's an abundant plus, wouldn't you say? And then also in verse 17, he works it out even more. Read it. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So he says, death reigned through Adam. How much more is the abundant reign of life through Christ? No longer are we subject to death's rule and bondage. But something infinitely superior is the reign of life that has come through Christ. So the comparison, Adam-Christ, breaks down because Adam just can't measure up. And you see how Paul uses the fall and sin of man to encourage us against the the dark backdrop of the fall of man in Adam is this greater, more abundant work of Christ who has brought us everlasting life. And then Paul speaks of the gift of righteousness in verse 17. If because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. The righteousness he's speaking of here is justification, imputed righteousness, standing in God's court of law, dressed in the righteous robe of Jesus Christ. And then he summarizes in verse 18 and 19, which we will again read. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners... 
so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. In Adam, there is transgression. In Christ, there is righteousness. In Adam, there is condemnation. In Christ, there is justification. Yes, we Christians share in the effects of the fall. But we Christians share in the age to come. And imagine, Christ's obedience is imputed to your account. Our participation is by imputation. We are constituted righteous in the sight of God because of this abundant plus. Stephen Neal was a missionary to India, Anglican, and he said something about Hinduism that has always struck me with a much broader application. In the Hindu system, the ineluctable order of the world says, you sin, you pay. That's Hinduism. You sin, you pay. In the Christian mystery of grace, God says, you sin, I pay. That's what's happening here. Adam fell, we sinned in him, and through his transgression, we also became actual transgressors. The ineluctable rule of the universe would say, you sin, you pay. But he sent Christ, who assumed human nature, he obeyed the law, he paid the penalty, and God's grace says to you, you sin, but I paid. That's what Paul wants you to see. He speaks of the law and the abundant plus in this passage. The law came in beside, he said in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. The law serves grace by showing us our sin. But see the abundant plus in verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Where sin abounded, grace superabounded. The law works hand in hand with the grace of God to show us our need that we might see ourselves as utterly condemned and in need of grace. Grace superabounded. Why? In order that as sin reigned in death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace superabounds that it might reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul is proclaiming that in Christ we have an antithesis of sin and its consequences. Sin, we have condemnation and death. To which Paul opposes righteousness, justification, and life. Eternal life, we are told here. And as Murray says, it is life that death cannot invade and life that cannot be forfeited. It is eternal life. You and I were so condemned in Adam, so under the condemnation and wrath of God... That only the coming of God into this world is last Adam obeying the law and paying the price. Could not only free us from the sin and condemnation brought by the first Adam. But give to you and me the abundant plus of an eternal life. Life that death cannot invade. And life 
that cannot be forfeited. And now we see the Lordship of Christ, which is the sixth thing. Notice how he puts this in verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you shouldn't skip over the fact that the Lordship of Christ is pointed out in the text. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, all this abundant, superabounding grace, this abundant plus came through the mediation of Christ. And by speaking of Christ as Lord, here Paul wants us to think of the risen, ascended, glorified Lord. Paul says, put your thoughts there, turn your attention there, see this, see him, see him risen, see him ruling, see him reigning, see him interceding, see him pardoning, see him keeping, see him loving. For the dust of earth is now on the throne of heaven, and as he sits at the right hand of God, He sits there as Lord. Put your heart's attention on the triumph of grace. You sinner, says the evil one to your heart. You awful sinner, says your conscience. What do we answer? The triumph of the crucified. The stone was rolled away. He ascended into heaven. He sits on the right hand of the Father. He poured out his spirit at Pentecost. He has conquered sin. He is coming again. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Death is swallowed up in victory. He rules and reigns in sovereign free grace. The Lordship of Christ defines the abundant plus. It is the Lordship of Christ that defines the abundance of grace that is found in the passage. But it is the infinitely abundant plus because the merit of Christ is infinitely abundant Do you see, do you begin to see that your sin and mine that infinitely deserve God's displeasure could only be overcome by the abounding grace that comes through the sacrifice of God the Son who won for us eternal life. So that what was lost in Adam, listen, what was lost in Adam was not only regained in Christ. What was lost in Adam cannot compare with what is gained in Christ. That's what Paul wants you to see. So let me bring a few thoughts. Just a few. I can see it on your face as you're tired. It's really good to understand, necessary that you understand the fall of man. It is essential that you understand the fall of man. It's essential that we see that we're sinners. Thomas Brooks, the Puritan, said, In Adam we lost our holy image and so became vile, our sonship and so became slaves, our friendship and so became enemies, our communion and so became strangers, and our glory and so became miserable. All right. But do you see... The abundant plus. Do you see that in Christ you are no longer lost, no longer vile, no longer slaves, enemies, strangers, 
miserable? Do you see that the image of God is restored, that you are sons and daughters of the living God, that you are God's friends, that you are glorious in your union with him? Do you see that you are a sinner? But do you see that in Christ you are not? Focus there. Do you realize that Christ not only restored all that Adam lost, but that Christ, the last Adam, gained it all back and more, so that you now reign in life and death has lost its grip? And you see the abundant plus as extending all the way to the return of Christ and into the eternal state. For this first, last Adam comparison is picked up by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, and he says in verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead will come also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. The last Adam, who was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, so gives us abundance that that abundance can only really, really be understood totally by us when we enter into the fullness of that inheritance in heaven to come. Now that's what we've sung tonight. Did you notice it? In you we have a righteousness by God himself approved. Our rock, our sure foundation, this which never can be moved. Our ransom by your death was paid for all your people given. The law you perfectly obeyed that they might enter heaven. As all when Adam sinned alone, in his transgression died. So by the righteousness of one are sinners justified. We to your merit, gracious Lord, with humblest joy submit, again to paradise restored, and you alone complete. That's the abundant plus. May God enable us to understand the passage and to apply it to our lives. Our Father, as we now conclude our service with singing your praises, may we remember that all of our hopes are found in Christ, all of our ground is in his deliverance, and that this abundant plus, so great, so wondrous, this justification, this eternal life, is far beyond our comprehension, but far, far, far beyond all that was lost in the first Adam. And as we see, Heavenly Father, even among evangelicals today, the temptation to give up on the truth and reality of the historical Adam, we pray that we will not be moved from this truth, for it is absolutely crucial and absolutely fundamental. And we pray that you will give us great joy in the knowledge that we believers in Jesus are no longer in union with the first Adam, but we are in union with the last Adam, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.